You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. So a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, we started our series, The Real Jesus. All right, And the goal of this is to discover together who the real Jesus is, because there are tons and tons of misconceptions out there about who Jesus is, even tons of misconceptions about the things that he taught. So we want to journey together to discover who this real Jesus is. And here's the truth. If we don't get the real Jesus, we don't get Jesus. Okay? If you don't get the real Jesus, you don't have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, there is no hope. No hope in this life, no hope in the eternity to come. That's how vital it is and important it is for us to discover who this real Jesus is. However, knowing about the real Jesus, knowing what he taught, is not enough. You see, I know a lot of people, okay? I'll give you one example. Morgan Freeman is from my hometown. He, uh, he owns a blues club there, or uh, in the Mississippi Delta, we call them juke joints. So he owns a juke joint there. He visits it frequently. I think everybody in Clarksdale has met Morgan Freeman, including myself. My claim to fame with Morgan Freeman is I almost killed him one day. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah, right? So one Saturday, I'm riding in my truck listening to my portable CD player. Y'all remember those? They were about this big, and they had that little cord that ran, that had the cassette on the end. You'd plug it into your truck or your cassette player. And it, that dude would sit right here on my knee or on my thigh. And it was, like, perfect because uh, my, like, it's like my leg absorbed all the shock going over railroad tracks or potholes, and so it wouldn't skip. <laughs> the problem is, on this day, his, he had a restaurant that sat on the corner of an intersection in town. And uh, I was riding along listening to my portable CD player, and I turned the corner a little bit too fast, and that CD player shot down in the floorboard. Well, the person that was riding with me said, oh, well, I reached down to get it, naturally, because now my music's jacked up. And so I reached down to get it, and the person that was riding with me said, hey, watch out! And I have to swerve to keep from hitting Morgan Freeman and his entourage as they cross the street. Uh, so that would go down my 15 minutes of fame that I'm not so sure I would want. <laughs> but I know about Morgan Freeman. I've met Morgan Freeman. I've watched his movies. Heck, I almost killed him. But the reality is, <laughs> if I went up to Morgan Freeman today, he would have no clue who I am. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, he was dining at one of the restaurants that me and some people were at in Memphis. And you know what? He didn't even ask about me. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. He didn't say, oh, Luke's here. Let me go say hey to my buddy. He, hadn't, he didn't even know I was there. You see, the reason, he, the reason he doesn't know anything about me is because I haven't entered in the relationship with Morgan Freeman. I know a lot about him. I think he's a wonderful actor. Great voice. I wish I had his voice. But... He doesn't know anything about me. And see, Jesus wants to take us to that step of a relationship. He's not just wanting you to know about Him. 
He wants to enter into relationship with Him. And that way you both know each other. Closely, intimately, as friends, as family. And so the purpose of our Real Jesus series is not just to give us more information to discover who the Real Jesus is. It's actually to deepen our relationship with Jesus. The purpose is to get a better understanding of who Jesus is so that we can trust Him more. So that we can enjoy Jesus more. So that our love for Jesus will be deepened. So that's the goal of our series here. And Jesus begins to take us a step further each week as we walk through Matthew uh, of what He is like, who He is. And we're going to be in Matthew 5 this morning, so we can go ahead and turn there. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we have a black ESV Bible out there on the table. That's yours to have. It's our gift to you. So we're walking right now. We're in the middle of walking step by step through the Beatitudes. It's Matthew 5, 3 through 11. And uh, what Jesus is doing is he is showing us what Christianity is really like. He's pressing deeper into our hearts. He's exposing us. And if you remember, three weeks ago we started with the, his primary message. Matthew 4.17 says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's, that's the message Jesus preached. And the Beatitudes have started to show us just how far that repentance is going to go. How deep it's going to go into our hearts. So I'm going to read the text this morning, and then we'll get started, okay? Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 1. Here's Jesus, seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And here's our text for this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Something that we've got to understand about these Beatitudes is that they are very systematically and purposefully listed in a particular order. Like Jesus wasn't just throwing out things for us to latch on to. Like these, are, these flow into one another. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is probably one of the greatest preachers of our generation, said, or, our, of the 19, or the 20th century, said that they are systematically getting harder. And you can't have one without the other. So they're flowing. Like Jesus is, is, is a, has set a particular order to these Beatitudes. And Jesus begins by telling us that the poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed, who are happy. And these are people who realize that they have nothing without God. These people who realize their total inability without God. These are people who realize their own sinful condition, their own weakness, their own inability to live a Christian life. And these are the ones, Jesus says, that the kingdom of heaven is prepared for. He takes it a step further and tells us, I'm standing right in the wind or something over here. keeps blowing my pages. He takes us a step further and tells us that not only do you realize your weakness, but you mourn over that weakness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
No, you mourn it. You're someone who is mourning over their own sin. Someone who's mourning over the sin of others. Someone who's mourning over the brokenness that their sin has caused. Or someone else has caused within their life or in the life of others. And Jesus promises here that if we mourn over our sin, we'll be comforted. And then we come to our text this morning, the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, the Beatitudes aren't meant for us to pick and choose from. We're not supposed to read these and look at them like, I like that poor in spirit one, that's the one I'm going to do. Or I like the one about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, so I'm going to grab a hold of that one and, and take on that attitude. No, we don't read them to determine which one is best for us. With the Beatitudes, it's all or it's nothing. We take them all on, or we might as well not take any on. You know, Jesus didn't look to the hillside here and say, it's good to see our poor in spirit people over here. Oh, I'm glad you mourners got out of bed this morning to come in here. Or there's those meek people, they never get to the front. They're way back there in the back, but it's really good to see you. Now, he, he wasn't singling out different types of people. The poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek are all one person. Okay? They're the same people. So let's dive into what Jesus says. By blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, just a few more minutes, asking one and answering one question. What does Jesus mean by being meek? You know, being meek is not something that is usually viewed as a value or quality. You know, personally... My mind naturally thinks, when I think of a meek person, I think of someone who's quiet. Maybe someone who's not assertive, or someone who's not authoritative, or someone who's mild, even weak. Someone who is fearful, maybe, and timid. You know, I think of people who are pushovers, really. I think of people who are really, 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 really nice. You know, doormat kind of people. Someone who's always saying, like, I'm so sorry. Like, they, like they just go to Sonic to order vanilla cherry Dr. Pepper, and then they say, and I'm so sorry, but can you put a real cherry in there? You know what I mean? <laughs> My wife just laughed. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> you know, these are characteristics that, that, that the world doesn't value. I mean, who wants to be a pushover? Who wants to be a doormat? None of us want to be a doormat. None of us want to be taken advantage of. You know, the world says the strongest survive. This is survival of the fittest. You know, we want power. We want strength. We want prominence. We want to be self-assured. We want our rights. We want what's coming to us. That's what the world says, right? The problem, though, is that my understanding of meekness doesn't match up with who the person Jesus was. And Jesus describes himself as a meek man. Hear this real quick. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says of himself, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. And if you read through the Gospels, specifically Matthew and Mark, two of my favorite books, because this is what I like about Jesus, Jesus wasn't a pushover. Not at all. I mean, he's, he's probably, if you, if you read through, if you read it with some clear eyes and an open heart, you're probably going to get your feelings hurt listening to some of the things Jesus said. 
Jesus was not a pushover. He was not a doormat. So what does meek mean then? If my understanding is wrong, because it doesn't match up to what Jesus defines as meek, so therefore I'm wrong, not Jesus, what does meek mean? And the word in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the word literally means gentle or humble or even considerate. The problem, though, is that, that, that I have with just leaving it at that definition is, uh, like, those are good qualities to have. Those are value qualities. Who doesn't like a humble person? <laughs> I mean, we, we really despise people who are arrogant. And, I mean, who likes gentle people? <laughs> I think everybody likes a gentle person. And we praise people who are considerate, don't we? I mean, those are values and characteristics that we want to take on. And let's remember, Jesus said, his very, he began preaching a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there is something about being meek that we have to repent of to become more meek. Does that make sense? Like, it ain't just being humble. It ain't just being gentle. It ain't just being considerate. There's something about us that we have to repent of that will take us further into being more meek. And I think Jesus has the answer. I think we can look at the life of Jesus and see what he's talking about here. I'm going to go back to that Matthew 11 where Jesus began, where he describes himself as meek. And I'm going to start reading in verse 28. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, same word as meek, or meek, and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what Jesus is saying in those few verses. I'll do the hard part. I'll take on all the demands of myself, on myself, so you don't have to take on any. I'm in this to give, not to take. And that's what an example of meekness is. Meekness is someone, the, the meekness that Jesus is talking about is someone who doesn't aggressively insist their own rights. Meekness is someone who could assert their own right, who could assert their own authority, but doesn't do so for the sake of the other person. And this, guys, is why we aren't meek. This is why being meek is so hard for us. We don't want to do that. We don't want to give up our own rights. We don't want to assert our rights for the sake of someone else's. And when Jesus is putting meekness out here on the table, it's because life is brutal, life is hard, and life is very, very unfair. And so what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about meek, he's talking about how you and I respond when injustice is being done to us. If we follow Jesus, he, will, he won't always make sure we win. If we follow Jesus, he won't always make sure you come out on top. In fact, Jesus is going to allow some people to treat us badly. 
just like they did to him. Just like he allowed people to treat him badly. Every one of us has a strong sense of justice. Every one of us has a, a, a deep inside feeling of we want things to be right. We want justice to be done. And that's good because God put that there in you. And, and in reality is we, we should be a people that defends one another. We should be a people that defends the weak to stand up for those around us. So let's be a people that stick up for one another. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has defended us. He stands up for us. However, Jesus is calling us not to retaliate when we are done unjustly. Okay? It's calling us to be a people who won't get even. When someone who has done us wrong. As far as our personal fortunes are concerned our own space, our own reputation. When somebody shoves injustice down our throats, Jesus is calling us not to retaliate. And this is why meekness is so hard for us. Let me be very clear, though. I'm not saying to be a pushover. I'm not saying to be weak. Jesus wasn't a pushover. Jesus was strong. Jesus is not telling us to be spineless and without a backbone. Even Leviticus 19 says that we can appeal to the wrongdoer. It says that you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. But what if your neighbor still does you unjustly? Jesus forbids us to rage back. Jesus forbids us to assert our own rights. And he can say this because that's exactly what he's done for us. We are the ones that treated Jesus unjustly. We accused him of blasphemy. We accused him of sin, which he didn't either. Jesus always did what was good, right, and perfect. He always loved and cared for people perfectly. He was always gracious and kind to people. He was forgiving of people. He was accepting of people. And yet, we arrest him, we beat him, we torture him, and we kill him. And not one time did Jesus rage against the ones who tortured and killed him. 1 Peter 2.23 actually says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to God who judges rightly. And that's what meekness is. Meekness is not asserting our own rights, but trusting God who judges rightly. And in the life of Jesus, God judged rightly in his life. Because after he was killed, guess what happened? Three days later, God rose and got him up out of the dead, got him up out of the grave. God did the fighting for Jesus. And this is where we need to allow God to do our fighting for us when we are unjustly treated. Because I can promise you, God's justice is a lot better than ours. And will you guys let me be transparent and honest with you guys this morning? Is that cool? Like, never has this verse been more hard 
in my life than in this week. Than this week. Um, and honestly, I'm not sure how to show meekness in an unjust situation that has come up in my family's life this week. A year ago, we had an addition built onto our home, a new bedroom, another bedroom, and a screen-in porch. And um, we paid, the guy who built our home is actually our neighbor, he lives across the street, and we paid him everything that he asked. And I get a letter this week from Acme Brick Company saying, uh, you owe us $1,322 or we're going to put a lien on your house March 1st. And I know I paid, and I, and I paid that builder everything I owed him. It's, his, it's, his, it's really his responsibility. And honestly, man, I really got a war going on in my heart. Um, part of me wants to get an attorney and walk over to his house because he's my neighbor, <laughs> lives across the street, and say, you pay this or we're going to court over this. Not part of me, probably most of me wants to do that. In my mind, here's what I'm saying. I paid you everything. I don't owe that brick company. You do. It's not right for me to pay that brick company. That's what I'm saying in my heart and in my mind. And then I read and I study passages like this and I wonder what gospel response, what Christ-centered response should I be having in this situation? I really do. I'm wrestling with it right now. I don't have an answer right now. Because... Here's the deal. Do I simply pay the $1,300 and be done with it? And like, is that meekness? I don't know. I mean, it is an injustice being done to me. I mean, they're going to get their money one way or the other when they put a lien on my home. How far do I take Leviticus 19.17 and reason frankly with him? Like, I, I don't know. I think I probably know what to do, according to the passage. But I don't think I want to admit it. I don't want to believe it. I really think in my own heart, I'm believing my $1,300 is better than living a Christ life. In my own heart, I really think my $1,300 is better than Jesus. So I really don't know what to do. I don't know exactly what I'm believing. I don't know exactly what my steps are to do. But this is real life for me and my wife. And this passage is, is rocking my world right now. Because my thought is, it's not right for me to pay that. I've already paid you. That's your responsibility. This is what I do know. Jesus says a repentant, and gospel-centered life is one that is meek, not asserting our own rights when we are treated unjustly. And I know this, the reward is a lot greater than $1,300. The reward, Jesus says, is the meek shall inherit the earth. That's $1,300 times a 
gobs them out. <laughs> the meek shall inherit the earth. And what Jesus is talking about is a future, renewed, restored, regenerated earth to where Jesus returns and He puts away all unjust things. And He makes everything right. That's my reward. Who cares about $1,300? He will completely undo all injustice. Or injustice. And there will be complete justice when He returns. You know, maybe, maybe one of you are dealing with a, some kind of similar situation. That you, you know, maybe not a lien on your house, but you are being done unjustly. Maybe it's by a co-worker. Maybe it's by a boss. Or maybe it's by a school teacher. Or maybe it's by a business partner. Or an ex-spouse. You know, the real Jesus would tell us to defend those we care about and to defend the weak. But he would also tell us to be meek when it comes to injustice done to us, not asserting our own rights. You know, in light of all the injustice that has been done towards us, I find great hope and great encouragement that any kind of injustice that's done to me doesn't even compare to the injustice that was done to Jesus. <laughs> he suffered way more injustice than I will ever suffer. And here's the reality. Here, this is sobering here. If we were... Like, I'd really deserve to be treated unjustly <laughs> because of my sin. Okay? Like, I deserve worse than just being hit with 1300 bucks. I really deserve hell. <laughs> I deserve God's wrath on me because of my sin. Because my sin is the one that caused the unjust treatment of Jesus. And your sin is what caused the unjust treatment on Jesus. He was someone who never sinned, who lived and loved perfectly, and who always treated people justly. And was always meek. And never asserted his own rights when he had every right to do so. And yet, we kill him. That's what we get to celebrate at the communion table this morning. <laughs> we get to remember that Jesus' body and his blood was shed unjustly for us. For our sin. Because He suffered unjustly in our place. And He was meek for us. We now, by His Spirit, can be meek as well. So let's be reminded of this as we take communion. What about, maybe one of you are the one who have treated someone unjustly. Maybe the role is flipped and you're the one doing the unfair treatment of someone. Hey, there's hope. There's hope. Because Jesus has died to undo all unjust, unjust, unjustice. <laughs> and there's complete forgiveness. And there's complete restoration at the cross. So we're going to celebrate this morning and we're going to take communion.
And we're going to remember that Jesus' body and his blood was, Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed unjustly for you and I. So here's what we're going to do. If you're not a partner with us and you are visiting, uh, we welcome you to the communion table. However, if you are not a Christian, uh, we do ask that you refrain from taking communion. And here's why. By taking communion, you're not going to have an unanswered prayer answered. Jesus isn't going to love you more. You're not going to get forgiven of any kind of sin. It's simply just grape juice and bread. And what we do ask, instead of receiving communion, that you'll receive something greater. Namely, the meek and the lowly, suffering, unjustly servant that are received Jesus, who was meek and suffered unjustly for your sin. So we're going to continue this morning. We're going to sing a song in worship. So, Ben, you can come on and come forth. And after we sing a song, um, Tim is going to give us a benediction. And after the benediction, we're going to exit to to your left, right? Yep. To your left. And form a line, and we're going to receive communion as we leave this morning. And there's also going to be a giving basket. And so here's the deal, too. If you're, part, if you're not a partner with us, you're visiting, you're a guest, we don't want your money. We do not want your money. Let me repeat that. We do not want your money. So please do not carry any kind of shame or embarrassment if you walk by and don't place anything in the basket. But for us who are partners, for us who call us family... Just as Jesus was one who came to give and not to take, we want to be a family who comes to give and not take. So Tim's going to lead us. We're going to have the benediction. After the benediction, if you'll follow along through here, we'll take communion and worship by receiving communion and by giving. Remember, guys, communion is a tangible act that reminds us of the gospel and what Jesus has accomplished for us. So let's receive communion this morning in a heart of worship. And let's give honor to those around us as we reflect on what Christ has done for us as they receive communion as well. Let's pray. Father, Dad, you, I have um, struggled this week listening to your words. And reading your own words has just really rocked my own heart. Uh, to the point to where you're really exposing, do I believe you? Do I value you more than I value my own possessions? Do I value you more than I value my own money? And I'm really at a loss. I really don't know what to do. Um, So I'm asking for your Spirit's help. I thank you for a wife that's extremely supportive that wants to follow Jesus. And it's here to walk with me through this. And Father, I'm asking that if there's someone here who's being treated unjustly, that you make this passage alive, you make your words alive to them. And remind us that you are the one who suffered the most unjust treatment. 
And Father, if there's someone here who is on the other side of it and is the one doing the unjust treatment, would you remind them that Jesus has come to free them of that and that they don't have to experience shame or guilt, but they can receive freedom and forgiveness from you? Help us this morning to believe your words even more and help us to value you above all things because you truly are worth it, Jesus. You're giving us the earth. (laughs) You're giving the meek the earth. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.